0: Wow. Hmm.
1: Can it get any better? The answer is yes. I'm answering it. Yeah, it can. This is not as good as it gets. Okay? We don't believe in that. We're grateful. We're thankful. But we believe there's more. Uh, let me just get myself organized here. Aye, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I preach from an iPad, but there's just something about feeling pages that just does something for me. And so I always carry a Bible as well. Ha <laughs> ah, Wow. Wow. So I'll tell a couple of stories um, because we've got all day now. Okay. So. <laughs> Her <clears throat> greetings from Lois. We've been married 42 years. She's the love of my life, really the only... I had a girlfriend before her. But um, when I met Lois, I ditched the girlfriend and... Uh, <laughs> found the love of my life. And uh, so we've been together since we were teenagers. We met at 17 years old. And... Uh, I wasn't doing very well as a teenager because I grew up in a church that um, had lost the presence and, and uh, we were Assemblies of God Pentecostal church and we'd become very Assemblies of God Pentecostal. And so we, uh, it just wasn't working for me. I got saved every, every single Sunday, I got saved. So every visiting speaker who gave an appeal got me. Because I wasn't happy with what I was doing during the week, living a double life. And so I, I, I just felt I had to get saved every Sunday. And uh, my mother was seeing this and uh, concerned, so she took me to a church in Newcastle, uh, a city very familiar to uh, Murray. And Ash, were you there in, in Newcastle? No. You were as well? Okay. Did you meet there? No, when first oh, when you first married. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. So um, it was called Beth Shan and um, an Assemblies of God Pentecostal church that was reaping the harvest crazy. And when I got there, it was full and packed and young people. And I thought, wow, actually, um, this Christianity thing is working for some people. And then these two young teenagers got up and sang a duet. Because you did that in those days. You did hymns and choruses, and then you had a song item, and then a preach and an appeal for salvation, and then everybody went home. It took about an hour and a half. So, my wife was one of those teenagers. And I'm listening to her and watching her. But I really like the girl who's singing with her. I really like her. And I'm thinking, wow, I could, I could stay in this church. Not really for Jesus, because I wasn't really affected, but I could stay for her. And, um, and so I was going to ask her out and date her. But then Lois started talking to me. And uh, there was just something about her that just, I knew this was going to be the rest of my life. We were only 17, we married at 21, and, um, and we came into ministry together at 30 years old, and uh, really, really, I'm just one of those people that married up, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and Duncan married up as well, and Murray married up as well, so we all married up, and we know we did, and we wouldn't be half the people without without our wives, without a doubt. Lois is a prophet, extraordinaire, words of knowledge, and uh, just incredible, just incredible the way that she moves in that gift. So prophecy is very, very important to her. And so every year we, we have at least one prophetic conference. And when we were forty years old, we—I uh, was twenty-three years ago—we had a prophet from Florida called Kathy Leshner. So Kathy came and and preached incredibly well and released the prophetic. And Lois and I were just sitting down here, and um, and she said, uh, "Ken and Lois, God is going to put a baby in your arms." And uh, it will be a sign of the new thing I'm going to do in your life. And she went on and on, but that was the two sentences that I remember. God is going to put a baby in your arms and it'll be the sign of the new thing I'm doing in your life. Well, we were at the height of renewal. It was think, If anything can get more newer than this, I know that's not a word, but newer than this, then how can that be? I laughed, I really did, and she saw me laughing, and she says, when it happens, you will not be laughing, just like prophetic finger, you know, and I'm thought, well, you don't understand, you know, I just don't know how a baby can be put in our arms, because, because um, I've made provision for it not to happen, so, so I don't know how that's going to happen, so that's why I was laughing. It was like, you're way off here. Anyway, we, par- we parked that prophecy on the shelf and got on with our life. And then my wife comes back from a, a women's conference. I'm at home. She comes back during the day. And she says, Ken, 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 sit down, sit down. I've got something incredible to tell you and she said you won't you will not believe this and i said well, okay remember the prophecy and i'm going no but i am lying through my teeth i'm just i'm just lying to her and i'm just acting ignorant and prophecy and so i know what she's referring to and she says you know the one about you know, what about the baby being put in our arms? And I said, oh, that one. And she said, yeah, well, I think it's about to happen. <laughs> oh my God. When your wife says that, you know, a hundred thoughts go through your mind. <laughs> Not all of them are good. And, and so I said, really? She said, can't sit down. I've got to talk to you. I've just been talking to a pastor's wife. And then she told me this story there is a young lady in her church and she has 5 children she has 5 children from unmarried from 3 different partners and she's from gypsy lineage uh, brought up by a grandfather not an abusive man by any means but just limited Her mother died as a drug addict, as a young woman, and she herself was on drugs, doing a little bit of prostitution just to keep keep that habit going, was very dependent upon alcohol. Five kids. And she formed a relationship with a guy, not realizing that he was um, an escaped prisoner. That actually... He, was, he escaped being transported from one prison to the next because he was in jail as a juvenile because he, ma- he murdered his girlfriend and unborn child. And she formed a relationship with this guy. And uh, once she brought him into the house, such as it was, he started to systematically abuse her. Kept her captive in the house. Um, would not allow her to move out, raped her repeatedly, and sometimes violently. The result of that relationship was that she found herself to be pregnant. Then a day came that he decided, this is the day I'm going to kill you. That was his intention right from the start. Just a psychopathic guy. Her children were very, very small, but two of them had the presence of mind to slip out of the window and then find somebody and then tell them what was happening. And just as he's about to bring a metal bar down on her head, the police broke in and uh, overcame him, arrested him, and took him off. But now this young girl's life is in tatters, really shattered. Social services said, we need you to abort this sixth child. If you don't, we will take the fifth one, the, all five away. And she said, um, okay, I don't want to lose my kids, so I'll, I'll have the abortion. She went to the clinic. And while she was at the clinic, she had a vision. Now, she was from gypsies, so visions and Dreams and that kind of stuff, talking to the dead and and the spirit life, that wasn't a problem to her. You know, she was brought up in all of that. She knew there was something more than, than just flesh and blood and just natural living. She knew there was something else and communicated into the spirit world quite often. So seeing a vision was not a big deal, except this was totally different. The vision was of a man in white sitting on a rock and lambs all around, skipping and jumping and and just playing in the the spring sunshine, except one. One was on the ground. Its legs were underneath it. It wasn't moving. And uh, she looked at the man in white and he spoke to her and said, all these lambs are mine including this one, and this one is you. And if you will allow me, I'll cause you to walk again. It was so powerful, so impacting, she walked right out of the clinic, carrying her sixth child. She collects the five from a, a sitter, and, and they're hungry, so she finds a church that is serving hot meals. And she sits down with her five kids, sits down, and she's been given a hot meal. And the pastor's wife comes and gets that story and said, I know who the man in white is. The man in white, his name is Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. And he has the power through his death. He has the power to resurrect our life and cause us to be born again and give us new life And she said, and I can introduce you to him right now. And right there and then, she gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ and brought her kids to church every Sunday. But social services are still telling her, you cannot keep this sixth child. She says, I'm giving birth to it. You might, but you're not keeping it then she talked to the pastor's wife and she said I'm a Christian now and so my five children I do not want my child to go into a non-Christian home so I want you to help me to find a Christian family and I'm going to talk to social services and I'm going to ask can you find me Christian parents that will adopt my child and uh, She's telling my wife this story. The pastor's wife. At the women's conference. That's what caused my wife to run home and come to me. And I wanted to say, no, no, no. So I opened my mouth and out comes, yes. Yes. And that prophecy that had been on the shelf gathering dust flew off and just hit me on the side of the head and there was nothing I could do about it. Nothing. I I just could. What hooked me was be a sign of the new thing I'm doing in your life. Well, we always want that, don't we? We always want the new thing. So we met her. She didn't know who we were. She hadn't a clue that we were known and uh, around the world or whatever, and she interviewed us, and we We knew we were too old. We were now coming up to forty five. We knew we were too old that social services would not put a newborn baby in the home of a forty five year old couple whose family has already grown up. It just doesn't happen. But what we said was, we would like to help you on your journey. You see, the prophecy wasn't, God's going to put a baby in your arms that you will adopt forever and ever and ever. It was, God's going to put a baby in your arms and be a sign of the new thing. So, we arranged that we would legally enter a residence order with Jackie. And we would look after Rachel, she would become ours. We would look after her in the hope that Jackie would become so stabilized that social services would allow her to have Rachel again. That was the plan. When Rachel was being born, she was born at 5.55 in the morning. To my wife, this was epic. (laughs) Triple grace. Right there, 555 on the dot. She was in the delivery room. I was out in the corridor. And uh, Rachel was born at 555. And the midwife said to Jackie, what do you want me to do with the baby? And she said, do you want me to put it on your tummy or on your breast or where would you like the baby? She said, I want you to take the baby. And she never knew the prophecy, the words of the prophecy. I want you to take the baby, and I want you to put her in the arms of Lois. A baby will be put in your arms, and it will be a sign of the new thing I'm doing in your life. Three hours later, Rachel was in our home, newborn. I was grateful I had teenage girls, I'm telling you. Especially two or three o'clock in the morning. I was so grateful I could say, Debbie, your turn. (laughs) Joanne, it's your night. (laughs) And any parent could, I think, identify with that. So, one year later, social services came to us and said, we're not giving the baby back. The baby will be adopted given up for adoption, but here's, here's what I'm here to say. We've watched you with Rachel over the year, and we want you, we're now 46 years old, we want you to legally adopt Rachel and become her parents. 46. You know, there's only, there's only some things that only God can do. And to put a, put a young child like that and a newborn into the home of middle 40s couples, only God can really do that. And of course we said, yeah, we'll do that. Before I go on to re- the real reason for telling this story, um, I just want to interject and give you a little snapshot of what my wife is really like. You see, we lost a child at 31 years old, a little boy called Matthew. And so we went into hospital and came out empty armed. She knew what it was like for a mother to go in pregnant, come out empty armed. That bothered my wife. And she said to me, I'm gonna do something about that in relation to Jackie. So I said, Tell me what you're gonna do. She said, I'm gonna find her a husband. Really? What, like there's a guy out there who, like, who wants five kids? And, uh, well, go for it. She says, no, I'm going to do this, Ken. I'm going to do it. So anyway, we had, there's a famous evangelist in England called J. John, and we had J. John with us, and he's doing evangelistic meetings, and there's altar calls every night. And so we're on the front, and this crowd of people come forward to receive Christ. And this guy, tall, shaven head, comes forward, and my wife goes, Oh, there he is. There he is right there. I said, Who? Jackie's husband. That's him. I said, "Louis, he's just got saved. Leave the guy alone. He's just found Jesus. He's signing up for the Lord and eternal life and all of that, not a ready made family. And she said, Well, I, I said, So what are you going to do? Shall I to talk to him? I said, We don't even know who he is. He might never come back again. I'm not going to wait till then. I'm going to see him at the end of the meeting. At the end of the meeting, I see her in the corner with this guy. And she's talking away, and I mean, I cannot believe this woman. Can't believe her. She comes back to me and she says, It's definitely him. It's definitely him. I said, So how did you work that out? He's not married. What did you ask him? Yeah, I asked him. And, and, and he loves kids. I said, How did you get that out of him? I asked him. And, And he's in the care profession. He's a carer full-time and he fosters kids. It's he's perfect. This is him. So I said, So now what are you gonna do? She says, I'm gonna set up a blind date. A blind date. I saw my ministry flying out of the I said, we're a church, we're a church, we're not a Dating, this is before online dating or anything like that. You know, this we we are not a dating agency. This is not, this is not Beshan dating agency. This is Beshan Pentecostal Church. (laughs) She said, I'm gonna do it, Ken. I'm gonna do this. So, anyway, she talks to the pastor's wife and the pastor, Jackie's pastor, pastor, and we said, What do you feel about this? We got the guy introduced to them, they felt good. And then, and I'm kind of relaxed a little bit about it. Okay, and so you know, we did it. We, we put together a blind date. I can't even believe I'm talking like this right now. I can't believe that we did it, because we're really sensible people, you know, and (laughs) led by the Lord and all of that, you know. And we hear the voice of God, and we're doing blind dates, and we set it up in a restaurant with roses and candles. And he comes here, and she comes there they 've never met ever we 're in the car park, and the table is at the on the window and we 're watching them from the car <laughs> and we 're saying with well, i think I think it's going well i think actually, I think they like each other look, look how he 's looking into her eyes and and it was crazy, crazy. After it, after it, you know, they talked to her. We talked to him. You okay? Yeah. So we're going to meet again. And he said, what, what, what do you think? Oh, no. We love each other. Really? After one date? Yeah. Love at first sight? One year. One year after... Rachel was born, I married them. And Rachel was at the wedding, and the five kids. One year after that, they had a child, a little girl, and they called her Lois. Ah, oh, the book's coming out. Oh, no, the movie, the true life movie is coming out next year sometime. And then they had another one. How many is that? No, six, seven. Uh, no, Lois was number seven. Rachel's six. Lois is seven. So they had number eight. And then another one. Nine. And then another one. Ten. Then another one. 11. (laughs) But then they thought they would have another one, so they did. 12. Rachel's number six. She's with us, and they've got 11 kids. What? (laughs) I tell you, that love at first sight thing really works. Really works. Still going on with God. Yeah. Still loving the Lord. We're in touch with them. And Lois talks to Jackie often. But Rachel grew up challenged. Because of the drugs and the alcohol. She actually grew up mentally ill. So she has bipolar She has Asperger's syndrome, ADHD, challenging things to deal with. At 12 year old, she was committed to a mental hospital because she was just so sick. So sick we couldn't look after her anymore and two psychiatrists came to the house because it takes two and they signed an order and a psychiatric nurse took her away to a mental health hospital. She was then put into care, residential, and she remained there until just a few months ago. She would come home at weekends and Christmas, and we would have vacations together. We never stopped being her parents. We're her parents today. She's part of our family. She's part of our life. She's 18. She's a beautiful, beautiful girl. And a, music, a musician, and worship leader, and an artist, and quirky. Quirky. I'm not looking at you, but you remind. <laughs> 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 just off out of the box, you know. Just colors her hair every, all the time. And uh, wears just clothes that are just her fashion statement. And um, just is out of the box. It just does not conform. Loves the Lord like you wouldn't believe, but just will not conform to what we did when we grew up religious. (laughs) (coughs) But we had to fight for Rachel and fight for her care. And it made us experts in relation to children's services. And There's a reason why I'm saying this. Because when, I, when the Lord laid upon my heart a dream to transform a city, I realized that actually you have to fellowship with the city in order to transform it. You can't transform it from a distance. And so you start by blessing the city. And we would start blessing the city just by providing Easter eggs for children in care, um, food parcels for children in care, and um, leave and care hampers, and um, and we just started serving, and then we, we ended up fellowshipping, because blessing leads to fellowship, and we would fellowship with the city, and start serving the city, and then we would get the felt needs of the city, and then be able to meet the felt needs of the city, all, and then establish the kingdom of God, declare that the kingdom has come, that's just classic Luke 10, when Jesus sent out the 70. So, um, we realized actually that the new thing was not the renewal. We were already in it. It wasn't even the Pensacola revival, which I was a part of. It, it wasn't going down to Argentina. It wasn't. It was actually God enabling us to serve the city of Sunderland in a very, very special way. I'm the mess chaplain right now, and. The city come to us and say, can you help us with this? I have a little three-minute video. Is this okay? Okay. And uh, that was the backdrop to what you'll just see now. This is quite an old one. We've moved on a lot since then. We do a lot, lot more. But this is what we do, just a little snapshot of what we do for children's, children's services in Sunderland. Yeah. So I want to re- release an impartation upon you for Raleigh and Durham right now. To make transformation is very, very simple. Very, very simple. Start serving the city and believe that one day the city will ask you to serve them even more with what really, really matters. So we just got Easter eggs and hampers and stuff. But it led to them coming to us and saying, we have this incredible need. And that has gone on and on and on. And uh, we've been asked just to open up a new home for the mothers. And because that's an assessment center that we have, and then we need to move them on into a, a next step environment. But I do believe that God wants to transform this region. Amen? Amen. And uh, so it's, it's as simple as that. Serve the city. Start with social action. Start with what you're doing. But let the Lord take that to the point at which actually you are fellowshipping with the city. Not just serving them out of social action, but actually fellowshipping Now, your social action is you blessing the city. But blessing leads to fellowship. And you will begin to fellowship with the city of Raleigh and of Durham and this region. And when that happens, they then realize the kingdom of God is a lot more powerful than their politics. And a lot more powerful than their budgets. And all of their programs and projects and that's what we're finding, that actually, we're better than them. Why? Because we're the people of God. That's why. This is what we do. We don't go home at five o'clock. We stay there. And we walk the extra mile. Amen? Because we have Christ within us to do that. So, with your permission, well, with or without it, I'm going to do it. Um, just lift your hands because I just want to release an impartation. Because the new thing that Kathy Leshner talked about was that which you've just seen on the screen. I didn't know at the time, but it's what we're involved in right now. So, Holy Spirit, I pray for this church, these people, for this city of Raleigh and Durham and this region of North Carolina. I pray. Lord God, for transformation. I pray that you will transform education, transform social care, transform the business world, transform the political arena. Bring the kingdom of God, we pray. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I Just release that right now. And I'm just asking you by faith. Just receive it. Just say, just take it. I receive it. I receive it. I receive it. Ha. 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 Amen. 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 You can take your seats. Thank you for that indulgence. I really appreciate it. I want you to turn to... Um, Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. And so, we're going to repeat a little bit of what we did earlier, but maybe just with um, a different type of emphasis that I'm just feeling in my spirit. Here's what it says in Mark 10, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho, and the they that the Bible is referring to here, is Jesus and his disciples and the group of people that traveled with him. And we know that some wealthy women traveled around with them. We know that it wasn't just the 12. We know that at the end of the crucifixion, after the ascension, there was at least 120 people in the upper room. So we know that he, he walked around um, during his earthly ministry with a group of people. They were with him all the time. Sometimes in Scripture, it looks like only the 12 are with him. But on other occasions, it's, it's this entourage, if you like. That's the they that Scripture is talking about right here. Now, they came to Jericho. And you always go down to Jericho. So it's very significant in relation to this story and the way that it's going to unfold in a moment, but they, they came down to Jericho. When you go to Jericho, you're walking down. When you go into Jerusalem, the holy city, you're walking up. So often Scripture talks like this in relation to Jericho uh, in the negative, if you like. And of course, if you're a preacher, you can preach off it just like this. It's significant that they were going down to Jericho, We don't like going down anywhere. Would you agree with that? No, we don't like down. We like up. (laughs) And uh, and as Ed said, the better than up is, is forward. And we don't like going back. We like going forward. So Jesus is going to Jericho. And then it has there a little dot. Can you see that? A little dot after Jericho. You guys call it a period, right? We call it a full stop. Now, we call it a full stop because that's what it is. It's a full stop. Just want you to know that. As they came to Jericho, full stop. And then, the Bible says, as they went out of Jericho. So now they're they're on the ascent, if you like. So they've come down. Now they're coming out of Jericho. But that's one difference, going down in, coming up out. But there's another difference. He went in with his entourage, but now it says that he comes out with his disciples and a great multitude. How many is that? <laughs> we don't know. But we know that the Bible can count. Amen? So the Bible can tell you 5,000. It, it, it can tell you 144. It can tell you 70. It can, it can count. But here it doesn't. It just says a multitude, which really, it's just a massive crowd. It's just like this huge, huge number of people that didn't go in with him, but are coming out with him. And we're not told for how long are these two events? How long was he in Jericho? We're not told that. Was it days? Was it a couple of weeks? I mean, how long? How long is this? And then we're not told what was going on in Jericho. All we know is that whatever it was, it had an effect. Something took place whereby a crowd becomes a multitude. So we can only really speculate, but I think speculate quite accurately, in that we know that Jesus went about doing really good things. The Bible says Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So I think it's safe to assume this is what he was doing. He was there doing good, healing the oppressed because God was with them. The result of that was a multitude gathered around him. There's something else about this story. And that is that when he went in with his entourage, he went past what the Bible calls a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus. And he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude. And here's what it says. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the roadside begging. Begging. Bartimaeus was there when he went in. He didn't just appear on the going out. I believe he was there in the going in because this was his life. He was led there. He was positioned. Oh, he found his way there because he's done it all his life. I'm going to suggest to you he was born blind and that the only future, the only income, For a blind beggar is that you're put in a spot. It's your spot. He's well known actually. He's been there a while. He actually is not just given a name in Scripture. See a lot of people are referred to in Scripture and they're not even given a name. He's not only given a name. Like the woman of Samaria for instance. She was just called the woman of Samaria. This is Bartimaeus who was given a name and then Scripture tells us who his father is, the son of Timaeus. This suggests to me he's well known. This suggests to me he's been there a long time. Do you know what that means? Here's what it means. Every day is like the next, the previous rather. Every next day is like the day he's living there. It never changes. He's going to sit there, And he's going to beg for enough money to live another day. He's going to hope there's enough money in there to buy a crust of bread, to sustain him, to keep him alive, until he goes back there the following morning and does exactly the same again. He's been doing that all his life. Next week, if nothing changes, he'll do that all week. Next month, he'll do it all next month. Next year, he'll do it all next year. He'll actually do it for the next five years, the next ten years. For as long as he's alive, that's all blind Bartimaeus will ever, ever do. He will sit by the roadside begging. That means his life is predictable. His life is routine. His life is mundane. Now, I understand these words, but my spirit gets agitated and upset when I hear them. And so should yours. If the Spirit of Christ is within us, we cannot live with the mundane. We cannot live with the predictable. We cannot live in the knowledge that my life will never change and that next week I will do what I did last week and that next month will be the same as last month, and if I'm kept alive long enough, the next five years could be just like the last. The sad thing is that a lot of Christians live like that. That our Christian life can be like that if we don't have intervention. It's Similar dynamics are a part of us. It's because we've been doing this Christian thing for a long time. I was born in church. I don't think literally born in the church building. But I I might have been because my early memories are just church. My parents were Christians. Church on Sunday morning. Church on Sunday night. Church. Church. Well, it was called the chapel, you know, and chapel, and then we're going to the chapel. There's a song in that, yeah. And that was my life. I, I, do church really well. Why? Because I've done it for sixty-three years. I know the protocol. I know the expectancy. I know, I know, yeah, how how to behave, how not to behave sometimes. And I just, I just know church. If I'm not careful, I'll do church until Jesus comes again, and that's all I'll do. When I say do church, I'm talking about Sunday church, okay? And I'm not talking about this church. This church is anything but predictable. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Those other churches, and I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those other people, right? So so just relax, all right. But if we're not careful, next Sunday comes around. You know what happens? The days in between Sunday and Sunday are no different between the days of Sunday and Sunday. And I've just done that. And then a month goes by, and I've just done that. And then a year goes by, and I've just done that. And you know what I'm like? I'm like a blind beggar at the roadside begging. That's what I'm like, because I'm just living the predictable. I'm living the mundane. I'm living the routine. And my spirit hates it. It hates it. Because it, it's, it's not born again into that language. It, it's born again into r- words like radical whoa. huh fanatical oh. whoa. whoa extreme whoa. epic and sometimes i can't find the words and so all i can find is ha ah! huh. but sometimes Sometimes I find myself at the roadside and I look back over a week and I think, oh my goodness. I'm in routine. The only fix for that is intervention. Sometimes, I know the Bible says we have to draw from our own system. We have to learn to do that. And of course, yes. And we need to know how, how to read the word Not in in the good times necessarily, but just read the Word as a discipline. Yes, I understand that. And, and And I understand that I have to worship and have my quiet time. But you know, all of that can even become predictable. Even that. And I just can't afford to live like that. And neither can the people around me. They can't afford to allow me to live like that. And I'm not talking about the people around me in church. I'm talking about the person who's living with me, uh, living next door to me. I'm talking about the person that I'm working with, nine to five. I'm talking about the person that I meet in the, in the gymnasium. You can tell I work out. In the gymnasium. Or in the health club. And in the spa. I do spas. Other people do gyms. He does gyms. I do spas. Okay. <laughs> They need me radical. They need me fanatical. They need me extreme. But sometimes I find myself in my little Christian life, in my little Christian world, no better than blind Bartimaeus, placed at the roadside begging. Whatever went on in Jericho, I believe Bartimaeus heard about it. I really do, because of what happened next. You see, there's no kind of newspapers. There's no Fox News. There's no CNN. There's nothing. There's no BBC World Service. You go to the gate, and you get the stories of the city. You get tales and information. People go to the gate, and they gossip, and they talk. Bartimaeus is there. The Bible tells us he's at the gate right there of Jericho. And he's hearing news. It's different from normal news. And it's not fake news either. (laughs) He's hearing true news. He's hearing there's a man in the city, a man. And he's healing the sick, he's raising the dead. He's casting out demons. He's teaching like no other man, taught. When you're blind and you're begging, you've only got one question. If you're blind, you've only got one question. And that is, did you see him open blind eyes? That's what you want to know. I'm glad that he's, he's healing those who are invalid uh, disabled. I'm, I'm glad that he's healing those who are deaf. I'm glad that he's delivering those who are demonically oppressed or possessed. But does he open blind eyes? And they said, yeah, he does. We watched him open blind eyes. He says, but you might not like to know his method. Says, what are you talking about? Well, he might spit in your face. Spit in your face. And you're thinking, I, I, I'd let him spit in my face. So, why is that then? Because it would be Jesus spit. So, I wouldn't mind that at all. Well, no, you wouldn't. But they didn't know who he was then. It was just a guy spitting, spitting in people's faces. And then making mud, we call it the clots in uh, the clots. Do you know that word, Murray? Clots. It's a northeast word. It's a northeast word for mud. See, Jesus lifted you out of the mud and the mire. He lifted me out of the clots. That's what I'm saying. So he makes clots and clags it on their eyes. Are, are, are you learning anything? A new language. He makes the clots and clags it on their eyes. Have we got the context? Yeah. And they say it, but Bart, Bartimaeus says, Cool. No problem. No problem. He can spit all he likes. He can make mud all he likes. He can put it all over my face if he wants. I'll take a mud bath if that's what's necessary. Why? Because I'm blind, that's why. Because I'm blind, that's why. You see, your need will get you over anything. Because you can't afford to argue. You can't afford to debate. It's like while the Pharisees are probably going through the, through the law of Moses and saying, where, do, where are clots and clagging mud on people? Where is that? And they can't find it. But when you're blind and you're begging, you're not even looking for it. You don't even care. If that causes me to get sight, then spit right here. And then they said, you'll not believe this, Bartimaeus. But actually, the people around him, they think it's the Messiah. They think that this is actually the son of David. Or a man of the lineage, born of the lineage of David. They're calling him son of David. I can just imagine Bartimaeus saying, so what? Big deal. I'll call him Queen Elizabeth II if necessary, if necessary. If he wants royalty, then fine. Why? Because I'm blind. And I can't afford to argue about his lineage. I can't afford to argue about his methods. If the end result is that I will see through these eyes, then that's what it will take. When Jesus comes out, the multitude is moving. I want you to get that picture. The multitude is moving. I think Bartimaeus made up his mind like this. He might have got in, but he ain't getting out. He might have got past me once, but he isn't going to get past me again. And so he makes his mind up. I'm going to stop him. He's a blind beggar. I'm going to stop him. Your desperation will take you through tricky theology. It'll take you through difficult methods. But it'll also create in you this absurd idea that you can actually do something about it. You can stop a multitude Can you imagine this? It's a multitude and they're moving. And he's made up his mind when the time is right that he feels Jesus will be able to hear him, he's going to shout. And so he hears the noise. It's a big noise. Listen, this is a multitude of people. There's people laughing. There's people crying. There's people shouting. There's people talking. I mean, it's a noise, and the noise is coming closer and closer and closer and closer and closer closer till it gets to a point where he feels if I shout loud enough now, maybe he will hear me. And he shouts, Jesus! Son of David! Have mercy on me, and nothing changes. Nothing. Jesus keeps moving; the multitude keep moving. On top of that, there's some very well-meaning people feel Bartimaeus is out of order. He's lost. He's lost his identity. His identity is the blind beggar who's there every day. And we walk past you every day Bottom is That's your job. That's what you will do now and for the rest of your life. And so we don't want you getting excited. We don't want you making a noise. And the Bible actually says that they warned him. They warned him to be Quiet. And all of us have heard this from time to time. Well-meaning people warning us. Saying things like this. Saying things like this. I thought it was my body odor for a moment. (laughs) Do you have to be that excitable? Do you have to be that passionate? Can you not... Do you have to make that noise when the preacher is preaching? Do you have to do that? Do you have to fall down? Do you have to. Yeah. The answer is yes. And then if a second question comes, why? It says, because I'm blind and begging. That's why. I'm blind and begging. I'm desperate and i can't keep quiet and i can't be ordinary and i can't be mundane and i can't give myself to the routine and i can't be predictable no what comes from here is radical fanatical zealous passionate i can't deny this why cause if i don't respond to this i'm blind and begging ha ha Oh! Oh. Oh. And here's what happened. When when they t- warned him to be quiet. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says he got worse. He actually got worse. Worse than he was. You think this is bad? Or good. If this is good, it's gonna get gooder. It's like you ain't seen nothing yet. The Bible says, he shouted, and this is what I love, all the more. He got louder. He got more fanatical. He got more radical. He got more ridiculous. He's told and warned. They're warning him, not gently counseling him. Not guiding him, warning him. Shut up! You're a blind beggar. You've no right to be doing that. Shut up! And he got worse. I love that. I just want to make a statement here now. I'm not going to get any better than this. I intend to get an awful lot worse. If I'm back here next year, which I fully intend to be, I'll be worse than this. I will. I'll be worse. I'll be so bad you won't believe it. Because I've made up my mind. Actually, I'm not going to get better. No. Ha, ha. Because ha. the alternative is that of blind and begging. And living a predictable life. Oh, God. Ah. King David one day decided this king thing's not working. It's killing people. And so he strips himself of his robes. He puts the Ark of the Covenant on two poles, which he should have done right at the very beginning, puts it on the shoulders of the priesthood where the presence of God fits better than anywhere else in the world and he marches them into Jerusalem and he goes ahead of everybody else and the Bible tells us that he's dancing with all of his might, half naked in front of all of his subjects and he's not acting like a king, he's acting like a shepherd boy in a field. Abandoned, But his wife was up in a window. And when he went up to see her, she despised him. And said, you disgraced yourself today. She's referring actually to her father, really. She could have said this, my father would never have done that. My father knew how to act like a king. He was kingly. You got no idea. The maidens of Israel, they saw your flesh today. And I think he just turns around and says, listen, listen, woman, in a nice way. Listen, woman. You think that was bad? If the occasion warrants it, I'm going to get worse. I'm going to get worse than that. The I'd be even more undignified than that. I'm going to get an awful lot worse. And you know what he ended up like? He ended up like that. And you know what Michael ended up like? Barren for the rest of her life. So you end up, either end up barren for the rest of your life or you end up like that. There's no middle ground. You know what's in the middle ground? See the Bible. Oh, Shaka!ba Jesus said. Jesus said, not Ken God. Jesus said, I'd rather have you hot or cold, hot or cold. Why? Because actually, he detests in between. You say hot is an extreme. Cold is an extreme. He puts value on extreme. But if you are lukewarm, you know how you got there? You just fell there. That's what you did. You didn't make up your mind to be lukewarm. You didn't didn't go on a Bible class to be lukewarm. You just found yourself lukewarm because you were neither hot or cold. And he said, I'd rather spew you out of my mouth. I'm not preaching this. Jesus said it. So there's no actual, you know, <laughs> there's no actual middle ground in God. But yet we find ourselves trying to find the middle ground because of fear or because of, you know, reputation or because of that. But, but Jesus hates the middle ground. I think he took the middle ground when he hung between two thieves and he died on a center cross. And he killed the middle ground. Ha ah. ah. Ha ah.
0: Ha!
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. And this multitude, this multitude is moving and Bartimaeus cries out a second time, "Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on!" me and the cry of the blind and the begging stopped him not not the cry and the noise of the multitude he was moving with them what stopped him was the cry of the blind and the begging I come from the city of Sunderland it's a coastal town in that the seas there we don't we're not a resort town that's basically what I'm saying we have land and sea I would like a resort but we don't have it because yeah we don't get the weather but Sunderland is a revival town it has been for years for centuries Revival Town. Something in the soil of that city is a well of revival. And an Anglican priest at the turn of the century, last century, decided to dig this well. And uh, he started having revival meetings with a, an Englishman from Oslo, Norway called T.B. Barrett, Thomas Barrett. And they came and they held revival meetings, not in the church, but in the church hall on Fulwell Road, still there. And it wasn't large with numbers, but it was significant because the Pentecostal movement of Great Britain was birthed out of those revival meetings, which later became the Sunland Convention, which later gave birth to the Assemblies of God, right out of our city. Wigglesworth came, Smith Wigglesworth, from Bradford. Wigglesworth came to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because that was the phenomena It was people were receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, receiving the power of God. And he sat all the way through the meetings, but he was going to go home the same as he came. The tragedy in our lives always is that we come into the presence of God and leave the same as we came in. When the potential is there not for Slight improvement. God does not slightly improve anything. Did you know that? He comes to totally change and transform so that you can't actually connect the two. What was and what is are completely different. ha ah. On his way out, on his way home, he feels maybe there's time for one more prayer. One more. And so he knocks on the vicarage, the minister's house, on his way out to the train station to get a steam train back to Bradford. And the door opens, and a lady op- answers the door, and he says, Is the priest in? Because I've had a great week, but I'm going home more or less the same as I came. I would like one more. I would like him to pray for me one more time. And she said, no, that can't happen because he's out of town. She said, but I'll pray for you. And she invited him in. Mrs. Alexander Body invited him in. He went in, turned left, knelt down in the parlor. And she put her hands on his head. And the fire of God, these are his words. The fire of God came from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Burnt up every trace of known sin. He caught a vision of Jesus on the cross, dying for those sins. As the fire came back up, he spoke in tongues, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the legend began from that moment. When he got back to Bradford, he was never the preacher. His wife, Polly, was the preacher. He just did this in the Sunday school with the kids because he was an emotional guy. And if he tried to preach, he would just cry. And so he says to Polly, I'm preaching tonight. And she let him preach, and she couldn't believe it was him. She nudged the person next to her and said, Is, is that my Smith? 13 resurrections documented. 13, there was one occasion he takes a corpse, puts it on the wall, and commands it to live. On the wall. (laughs) Live! I've never done that. Just want you to know. I am from Sunderland, but I've never done that. But I think I would like to do it. So I'm kind of wondering, was anybody there when he did that? (laughs) Or did he just kind of slip down to the morgue and just get one? I'll have you. Get up against the wall. He actually brought his wife back from the dead. And she woke up. And she said, what are you doing? And he says, I'm bringing you back. She says, well, don't do that. I want to be with Jesus. Jesus you'll be all right on your own. And he was, he was fine. He was all right, all right. And he just let her go. Just let her go back to the Lord. How many people healed? How many healings? How many uh, resurrections? How how many, how, how much done through one life that would not walk past the vicarage, would not remain blind and begging anymore, could not put up with the mundane, being a plumber and just, teaching the Sunday school, but needed intervention, and knocked on the door and say, one more prayer. One more prayer. I tell you, it's worth a shout. It's worth a shout. Because it's worth one more prayer. Duncan referred to this scripture. It's in my notes. I'm not copying you, but you know when... When (laughs) when Jacob went to Pino. the Bible says that he wrestled with the man, it's the Lord himself, wrestled with the man till the breaking of day. And we don't know how long that is because we don't know when it started. We just know when it finished. But I think the text suggests this was an all-nighter. And he's wrestling with God till the breaking of day. And God himself says to him, just let go. I've heard the devil say that. Let go. Stop being so radical. Stop being, yeah. stay home. Don't get on an airplane and fly around the world. Just stay home like everybody else. And, and yeah, I've heard the devil, but I've never heard God say, just let go. I've never heard him say that, but Jacob heard him say that. Just let go. By this time, he's Hips out of joint. He's in agony. And Jacob says this. I'm not letting go. Not until you bless me. Hey, the guy's the Bill Gates of his time. Really. I mean, he's the richest man on planet Earth right there. He's got so much, Laban wants it. Laban wouldn't have changed, chased him if he, if he was a pauper or if he had less than him. He had more than Laban. He was mega rich, billionaire in comparison to today. Camels, maidservants, men servants, gold, silver, sheep, goats, the whole deal. I mean, the guy's loaded, and he's saying to God, I will not let go until you bless me. So, what's he asking for? More camels? Because that's what you and I ask for. (laughs) More goats. More wives, more maidservants. What's he asking for? What blessing is he asking for? Well, there's a promise over his life. And that is the God of Abraham was also the God of his father and would be his God as well. And that out of that would come a mighty nation. And they would become the people of God. I think that's the blessing he's asking for. Because when he doesn't let go, God takes the open palmed hand of blessing, which is things, material, and just the goodness of God. and clenches his fist and wrought a work in his life. Can you see that? We often ask God for a blessing and it's to do with this material world. But every now and again, the Lord needs to clench His fist because what needs to happen is a work wrought in our life for eternity, for future generations, for those yet to come. And so when that happens, God says, what's your name? And He says, Jacob. No, not now, because you wouldn't let go, not anymore, no, Israel, my nation, my people, my special chosen ones, that's your name, that's what a clenched fist does, clenched fist will transform Raleigh, a clenched fist will transform Durham, North Carolina, a clenched fist will bring revival to this nation. Not always the open palm. And I would say hardly ever. Hardly ever. But if we will not let go and allow God to clench his fist, Raleigh will be saved. Durham will be saved. North Carolina will be saved. Nations will be transformed. Paul said that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. He wouldn't let go either. He wouldn't let go right to the end of his life. Even in prison, he would not let go. Even being whipped by his captors, he would not let go. Even even receiving rods, he would not let go. Shipwrecked, he would not let go. Bitten by snakes, he would not let go. He would not let go. I will not let go. I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Ah. Uh, that story just. Uh, a couple of minutes. Then we're going to pray. Because Bartimaeus did stop Jesus. It's in the nature of God sometimes to walk by, but we can't stop him. The disciples on the road to Emmaus had to stop him and tell him to turn into the house. He was going to go by. The disciples in the boat had to stop him when he was walking on the sea because he was going to walk past them. And so sometimes the Lord will walk past us just to test us, test our desperation, our resolve, test if there is a shout within us sufficient enough to stop him here with me, to stop him here. At my church. To stop them here. At my city. To stop them here. At my region. To stop them here. At my college. At my university. At my place of work. Is there a shout within us? Les, it's worth a shout. A ah, shout. Ah,
0: ah.
1: Some years ago, I was preaching in the Oxford area of, of England. And the conference was called The Event in the Tent. And I was the keynote speaker. And so I preached the conference. and It was for a charismatic movement. And uh, the last night, and I think I preached something along these lines. And I think I said, there's always time for one more prayer. I think that was the kind of terminology I was using. There's always time for one more prayer. I referred to that story of Wigglesworth. Always time for one more prayer. But I'm on my way home, and I'm going across the car park. My wife is already in the car. We're going to drive halfway home, go into a hotel, sleep the night, and continue the journey the next day. It's starting to rain. My wife's in the car. I'm talking to the leader of the movement. He's given me my white envelope. I've put it in my pocket, and I'm already home. I'm already there. When this 20 odd year old guy runs out of the tent, and I mean run, he runs towards me, all arms and legs, and Ken, 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 Ken. And I look at him, and he says, You got time for one more prayer. Words to that effect. And I'm looking at the rain. I'm looking at this leader, I'm looking at my wife and I'm looking at this guy and he's so hungry and he's so desperate that I feel I have to pray for him but it's not going to be one of my greatest prayers it ended up being my greatest prayer but then I didn't think it was going to be very much at all I put my hand on his head and I prayed something like God what you've put in me put on him and more just impartation of the Holy Spirit of the fire of God and it was was along those lines and he went down under the power in the wet it's raining in a car park and he's lying in the wet and I should have been very, very renewal lay, knelt beside him and soaked him a little bit you know but it was raining it was wet and so I just got in the car and drove off left him left him never saw him again for years about four years later, I'm in Colombia, Bogota, Colombia. John Arnett is there, and he comes up to me. Hey, Ken. hi, hey, John. Have you met this young man? And I said, No, we've never, we've never met. Says so this is our new executive officer, and said, Oh, nice to meet you. And he, and he said, We have met. We have met before. Remember the young man that ran out the tent? That was me. And that man now leads a movement, has a great church in North America, is known all over the world, does missions everywhere, has birthed thousands of ministries out of his school and everything else. That man is your own pastor, Duncan Smith. Heaven will count. Heaven will count. Yeah, is there time for one more prayer? It's worth a shout. Look what has come. We are here today. Ha, we are here today. Ha, ha, ha. Shabbat. And you can thank me for your wife as well. (laughs) Because... Somebody ran out of a tent. It's why we're here now. It's why this building is here, why this congregation is here. Because somebody ran out of a tent and said, is there time for one more prayer? And the shout of the blind and the begging stopped Jesus. And it's never changed The same response is in his heart today as it was back then. I think he was 27 when that happened. That's how long we've been friends, by the way.
0: Whoa. Whoa. Whoa.
1: It's worth a shout. When Bartimaeus got up, he approached Jesus and Jesus asked him the most ridiculous question in the whole world. What do you want? And yet it's the most profound. He could have said, what's your dreams? What's your ambitions? Where do you want to go? What do you want this moment to produce in you for the future, for your destiny? It's all wrapped up in that one sentence. What do you want? What do you want? And he said, I want to see. And Jesus touched him and he saw, according to your faith, And he saw, and the Bible says he followed him on the way, followed him on the way up, not down. Followed him on the way up because the next, the next bit of scripture here is the triumphant entry into Jerusalem by Jesus. He followed him up. There's a significant difference between a blind beggar sitting by the roadside begging and someone who is following Jesus fully seeing pursuing his destiny. There's no comparison between the two. And it happened in a moment of intervention. There's no comparison between the two. And this is what I say all the time. God does not want to slightly improve your life and make things just a little bit better. That is an insult to God. It really is. That's like saying, I'm okay with the lukewarm. Just give me the middle ground. Just make it a bit better. Jesus said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to spew you out of my mouth. What God is going to do in the next few moments, I'm believing, will be such that the person who walked in will not be the one walking out. It's worth a shout. It's worth a shout. It's worth a shout. Jesus! Son of David! Have mercy on me! And the shout from the blind and the begging, stop the Lord. Not the noise of the multitude, the shout of the blind and the begging. I want you to stand to your feet right now. There's destiny in this place. Ha! Ah. Whoa! I just heard the Lord say, "I'm going to do a new thing." in your life I mean you can take it for you but I'm going to do a new thing in your life just like the prophet said to us a baby will be put in your arms it'll be a sign of the new thing the new thing and in the spirit I can just see birth things happening so this isn't something getting better but this is something completely new wow 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 I'm too desperate to be offended I'm too hungry to argue if the end result means I'm not begging and blind anymore then that's where I'm going My desperation will overcome every obstacle. See, some of you are walking out of your seat, but I never told you to do that. So I need you to get back to your seat right now. Get back. Get back to your seat right now. This is this is ridiculous that you're out here. I never asked you to come out here. I never said come to the front. I need you to be in your seats. Ha! 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 a shout for Raleigh, it's worth a shout for Durham, it's worth a shout for this region About you but sometimes I look at other nations and I think why China why Brazil why South Korea and I think they must have stopped him he was walking by and they must have stopped him so why not America why not the United States Somebody has to stop him. Somebody. Ha.
0: Ha. Ha. Whoa. 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 Whoa.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. Ha. Whoa. Whoa. Ah. I'd like the whole worship team to come up. The whole worship team to come up. And King David said, you think this is bad? I'll be even worse than this.
0: whoa. whoa, whoa, whoa. Boom, boom,